Nick, Nick, go back. Come on, you can't blame me for all this. Oh, I can, and I will, and I do. I blame you for everything, Chuck. It's all your fault. I'm blaming you for the ozone layer, global warming, the price on gas. It's all your fault. So get off my property, get out my face, and get out my life. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you going? Uh, it's Bartolomei. And I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, for this episode, I'm Bartolomei. <laughs> you know, in Lovecraftian books, where they describe how they've seen the creature and it's made them go mad upon its just sight? Yeah, they're really wimpy. Go on. That's how I'm feeling today. <laughs> I'm feeling like I've seen something that has turned my mind into Swiss cheese. Seen with your ears. Oh, let's just go. Unless we've there's something g- you're not telling me about we've my got, appearance. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Bartek just is making me go, ah, it's the beard. It's right in my eyes. It's getting into my brain and giving me funky feelings. But the microphone's in the way. And the filter. And the pop filter. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bartek, for introducing Spit and Polish Presents likingly because we're always spitting and... Come on, finish the sentence. We both happen to be Polish and Mm. specifically it's the show PP Pictures Powwow. The original PP. Take that, Pokemon. Take that, Pokemon, which is just one P, right? Oh, no, I'm talking like in the games, like PP is like the... PowerPoints. <laughs> yes, sorry, know. sorry, yes, yes. It's how Thank many you. times you can use a move before no, you have to No, we, we only have a few moves to give you, which is, say, the show's name. We've done that. The show is where we talk about a movie that's come recommended. I've just done that. The person that recommended it was you, the listening people. We, Lance, one of our YouTube commenters, commented that we should do this movie. Mm-hmm. What movie are we, in fact, doing? We're doing Are We Done Yet from 2007? I think so. I think it's 2007, yeah. Okay, okay. Ooh, phew. Worried. We're still in the bush years. Okay, so then the other step is we have a guest that's joining us, our Ice Cube expert of him in family films. Yes, we didn't have him for the last listening people's that choice. That wasn't a family film. No. That wasn't a family film. But we do have World Wide Will is here again. Will, you are back. How are you going? Hello, 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 listening people. Um, I'm back. I was feeling good, but something has disappointed me, guys. <laughs> yeah. I know, me too. What What disappointed me, guys, is you credited the listening person who selected this Lance, but only his first name. You didn't say Lance Jackson. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, He's yeah. famous. you got to get the whole thing in there. God, police, if you're listening, there's a name. Of, I'm, sorry, of... <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lance. We won't fuck it up again, mate. Lance, Lance. This is your last recommendation. <laughs> I, be- I beg your forgiveness, <laughs> you're right, Lance. You're right. It is your last recommendation, Lance, because this may be the last episode of the show because you've killed one of the hosts. <laughs> Me! Okay, let's get real, as David Lynch would say. Let's get real. Well, he didn't say let's, did he? Uh, He said get real, but we should get real. Like, let us get real. Okay. Are we done yet? 2007. No, we just started. Starting, starring, sorry, Ice Cube, Nia Long, John C. McGinley, and others. Yeah, Joker from Next Friday is in this. I noticed noticed that. Okay. If you've not seen the film, 
Well, you should. You should see the film. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the many, many people who haven't. To get into the histories, uh, of course, we're going to be spoiling this, so you are warned. To get into the histories with this, I'll rattle off mine very quickly. Just because... edit in the histories from Are We There? No, it's going to no, be the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. It may have changed. It may have changed. Will may have watched in the interim. I have seen this movie. You two have never seen this movie, correct? That's correct. That is 100% correct. What was your history with the first one, Will? You'd never seen it? Oh, uh, no. We, he saw it in the we cinema. We had seen it, I oh, yeah. think, in the pictures, though. I hadn't thought about it probably since that day. Right. But, so basically, when we started that first episode, like you and I had seen the first one, right? I'd only seen the second one. I'm not yeah. even sure if I until Ryan mentioned this when we would when we did the first one on the podcast. I'm not sure if I even knew this one existed. Okay, oh brother, I knew it existed, but I knew nothing I'm about it. Still not quite sure what state of existence <laughs> it or I am in after watching it. It's in one of those nether realms. I saw this in school in high school. It was a classic. The school term has come to an end. We are going to do nothing for the lesson, just throw something on. I think it was, like, in year eight. Year 2007 nine. would have been year eight. Yeah. yeah, year eight, year nine, and I was doing... Uh, I'm trying to remember what the class was. I know what room I was in, but I'm trying to recollect what class I would have had. Isn't that the funny thing with memory? Mm. Like, I can remember the classroom I'm in, but not the class that room was for. So it was probably not PE. No, no, it wasn't. It was for um, uh, for what do you call it? Uh, uh like um, like health crafts, Craft. um, like Arts. sewing. No, no, like oh. sewing and stitch work and all of that. We had that as a class. Okay, God, I'm forgetting the name of it. But like, that general thing of like, hey guys, here's a sewing machine. Go off you go. Create a mitten, and so we whacked that on, and it was bizarre. I didn't know about the first film. I didn't know this was a sequel film, mm-hmm. even though I saw the beginning of it where he kind of sets it up like, you know, it's me again. And here's our situation. I, I didn't know. I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I just was unaware. Yeah. I had seen Ice Cube in movies before, like Friday After Next, which this made me think of uh, because of the animated opening credit sequence, which Friday After Next had as well. Yeah, it did. And I... Saw the film in its entirety, and I forever was changed because this felt like a mad fever dream. You this didn't feel like a real movie. Yeah, yet you it talked is. about it over the years. Yeah, it was like looking into what is a normal film. Like you've seen the pitch of this done so many times, so well in other places. Whether it's Green Acres, the television series. Obviously, I found out in this watch, this is based on an old Cary Grant movie. It lists that in the opening credits. Yeah, that threw me off. I've never <laughs> seen that film, so I can't speak to that. But like Funny Farm, starring Chevy Chase, also similar to this, where it's like city person moves to the country, they have a fixer upper house, and the local community around them is both supportive but alienating and weird. And are they conning them? Are they tricking them? Blah blah blah. We all know this. We've seen some variant of this, or we're familiar with this. It's also got a bit of like a you, me, and Dupree kind of thing of like the you know the much better guy who's like mm. make, swaying the family, whereas the main character is struggling to prove himself. Or yeah, something like that. We've all seen the storyline of the the parent 
who is absentee from the family and all the hijinks because they're trying to work and get the money and, 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 and get the magazine up in time. Like RV starring Robin Williams, the film Runaway Vacation, where he uses this vacation so that he can actually detour his family to the meeting that he needs for work. And he isn't telling them and it's a secret being held. And, oh, I've seen this film so many times. But when I when I viewed it at, at that teenage viewpoint of like oh it's a friday afternoon i just want to go home oh there's at least dr cox from scrubs i love that guy the usual formula that all of these have are being used here but also it's like the formula has gone off it's been left in the sun too long it's gone bitter it's gone peculiar and mutated into some other strain of this this type of movie mm. and I've latched onto that for years and years and years. And I'm very proud to say that after viewing the first movie, where the first movie was similar in that regard, but for kids' films, like the road trip family comedy, where it was normal-ish, but slightly off. We, I remember we did have we did have a lot of conversations about how, like, yeah, this also has like a structure that we recognize from like kids' films. But it also, you even use the term fever dream for that mm. film because there were just all these things that were a little too weird. Right, right. And so I'm proud to announce to everybody here that the film was as weird and as bizarre and as nightmarish and whiplash-inducing as I recalled it to be. Uh, you guys had this build-up ahead of you from our last episode discussion on are we are we there yet? You guys walked into this kind of with that with that in your brain with me being like this is fucking nuts and weird and it's so different from the first film yet not really uh so that was kind of what you guys walked in with but tell me what was it like coming into this well the main thing that i remember you talking about and maybe i've mixed this up with another film i seem to recall you mentioning that this film or some film you know that gave you a similar reaction had a thing where it seemed like the main character uh, was the only one who ever interacted th with this really weird character. So, John C. McGinley, yes. My recollection was, it's not that it's the only one, it's more like, it almost feels like he's not real, John C. McGinley. Like, like the version that our character sees is so different to the version everybody else sees. And I stick by that, by the way. I stick by that. Yeah, the, I guess me just misinterpreting that, because, like, when we first met this character, I'm like, oh, this guy is crazy. This must be the guy Ryan was talking about. But everyone else is talking to him, too. So, no, it must be someone else that's weirder than this. So it kind of threw me off when the film ended, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess maybe I was just misremembering what Ryan said. Yeah, yeah. But uh, how was it for you? Yeah, it was really interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that a, your nice way of saying bad? I, I, I like the way you described it with, like, this seems like a, a mutated, like a perverted version of, like, this kind of film where... <laughs> It was going through all of these familiar, you know, tropes and plot points. Um, in a way, I think I was like asking myself, like, do I say that this film was really focused and on topic or all over the place? Mm. Like, I'm still kind of struggling because, like, when you look at it, it's like, okay, every every scene that happens is, you know, like a comedy set piece in a way with one of these types of story scenes where. 
ironically, in next Friday, you're saying like, oh, Ice Cube, Big Ego needs to be the butt of the jokes. But then in these, you know, are we in the are we franchise he <laughs> is the butt of the joke in like every single scene <laughs> right and yeah and with that in mind like this is the point of the franchise this film succeeds like he is the butt of every single scene um mm. every scene you know is focused on the renovation like we do not see the kids <laughs> the, ki- we'll <laughs> the get, main we'll, characters we'll get to that. in I was, the previous I'll, film no 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 I, yeah i agree with that but the, the main point i was getting at is like they've moved to the countryside but like oh, we don't see the community we never leave that fucking that's property lit- that's literally it until like the end where like he calls john c mcginley that's like the only i couldn't believe that john c mcginley actually had a house like i i i like i knew that happened but like it was so isolated here in this one place to cut away to John C. McGinley's house and that it's nice felt almost unrealistic. Like again, he he feel like he should be living in that. He was living. Caravan. He was yeah. He was living on a street with like many houses. The fact that that's in the movie feels. Yeah. Well, no, no, I don't want to pull it too early. I just will say this because we'll get to it. This will be a big topic point, but. He is John Candy from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That's yeah, I who John that C. Too, McGinley yeah. was. And guess what? John Candy didn't have a house or a home. He just traveled from place to place. And that's what I really connected with. And I went, this doesn't seem right. Like, we cut to his house and he has a, like, the fact okay. he has a closet is unrealistic. Before, before we pull that trigger. Yeah, um, yeah. Before we the pull point, the pin. The point I was making was, you know, was this film entirely focused on its plot or was it all over the place and that's just one of the elements of like you know it's focused on the house renovation and once we get to the house we very rarely ever leave it will you walked in maybe go fishing go yeah you walked in knowing that i was i i I talk this up as kind of like a crazy bizarre experience for myself how is it for you well basically i'm going into it and the the only thing i really remembered from our discussions about it. I think you mentioned, like, it's almost all in one location, Mm. which is definitely the case. It is almost all at the house and the property. Unlike the last film, which was, like, in multiple locations. Yeah, it was just... and 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 it has, like, a weird feeling. And I've sort of, like, I've... I watched it last night. I've slept on it, and I've kind of been gathering my thoughts throughout the day. And I hate to say it, I, like, still can't quite put into the words the quality of this this film has a a something going on well, that makes it feel very <laughs> strange that's what this recording session is about because yeah. you know what this is supposed to be it's not that bizarre yeah. it is obvious what this family film is supposed to replicate and reintroduce to this generation and rip off if you will or or just do but you can't get your fingers on it. Like, you can't grip onto it. You just keep slipping. And then you slip into fucking weirder territories. And you're like, now I don't recognize this. Because the film is one of those where it's too lazy to have rules, but then will weirdly enforce rules. And it's like, guy, you gotta you gotta pick. Are you like one of those cartoony universes or not? And then to give the the uh, opening John, credits, huh? <laughs> yeah, to give John Hughes, yeah, yeah, John Hughes is a big influence on this. Mentioned Planes, Trains. Another film I would say this is mostly ripping off is The Great Outdoors, starring John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. In which the pitch of that is 
this family uh, get together. There's you know, the, the, the poorer family, the more common folk, the John Candy side, and Dan Aykroyd, who's like the city rich asshole. You know, he has the old school phone, and they meet up at the cabin that they have near the lake, and they're getting back together about family. And when you know it, the cabin's fallen to shit. They've got to kind of repair it. Oh, there's raccoons that eat their trash and they have to deal with the raccoons. There's this legend about a grizzly bear out there. There's a guy in town who's been struck by lightning 50 times. like And huge stuff. As we've talked about with Baby's Day Out and, and we always talk about with Planes, Trains and, and Great Outdoors, they can present as normal. But then they would have their weird little moments where it's like Planes, Trains famously has my favorite gag where it's like a normal, normal, normal. And then he sees John Candy at the airport and he then visualizes the cab door, just the door in front of John Candy and John Candy reenacts the reaction he had earlier. And it's so weird. Or when they're in the car and he sees John Candy as Satan and he's laughing abstract weird bizarre no one looking down but, in babes day out but there's no but it doesn't undercut the the rules of the movie it's a weird weird balancing act here the raccoon talks and i almost died i i i i i couldn't believe that happened and then it stopped happening no that was believable because we already had the screaming fish <laughs> was yeah. that before the screaming fish I feel, I feel like, like that rac- was no. I'm saying that was. I feel that like was the after, raccoon was before the screaming fish, but was it? I feel a little unstuck in time. With see, yeah, the thing how with long this was movie- this movie? Like, how long did this movie take? Because she's like, about to give birth at the like as soon as they move into the house, and then it's like, and then it feels like four years pass before she does give birth. The thing with this movie is, in some ways, it is the generic family-friendly comedy from this era. Era you're expecting, but there is just some bizarre shadowy thing that is here his name is john c mcginley as chuck well that's a big that's a head of it but there's other there is other (laughs) things as well and i just can't quite i'm getting little glimpses out of the corner of my eye but i can't quite see here's my big complaint here's what makes the movie a failure if it's trying to be these things funny farm planes trains Funny Farm has Chevy Chase. Planes Trains has Steve Martin. Both comedians are very, very adept and very skilled at playing the common man or the the head of the family or the guy who's at the center of all of this kerfuffle. And they deserve it, yet they don't. You know what I mean by that? Like, Steve Martin in Planes Trains and Automobiles gets everything he, 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 like, put upon him because he deserves it. But at the same time, He's a reasonable enough man where he shouldn't have this happen, but he's also smarmy and smug and selfish and egotistical and doesn't... He's a New Yorker. Chevy Chase is Chevy Chase, where Chevy Chase plays an asshole, and he's always making smarmy comments. So when he gets shit on in the narrative, it's funny because he does deserve it. Ice Cube is capable of this. But throughout the entire runtime, I was pulling out when I'm taking it seriously as a film, I'm pulling my hair out because it it, it fails at this, which is it doesn't disprove him being right. In Planes Trains, you may relate to Steve Martin, you may get on his side, but it shows you that he's wrong at many points and that John Candy is right. And John Candy isn't being malicious ever in that movie. He's He's just... 
who he is. And Steve Martin being unaccepting is a character flaw. Here, I was just on Ice Cube's side the entire time. And I was against the movie when the, the movie was saying he needs to change and that he is wrong. Mm. That is his big flaw for me. He doesn't have that snarkiness and that selfishness to warrant you, the viewer, getting satisfaction of him getting his own and then mocking him and laughing him and him being the butt of the joke. And he is making so many fucking valid points that everyone else around him comes across as the antagonist. His wife is the antagonist. The kids are the antagonist. Everyone's the antagonist. And not in a fun way for me. Like, like, I was just like, he's fucking right. Movie, stop saying the protagonist is wrong. You are wrong. Leave the guy alone. It is this kind of thing also where, you know, one of the big things about John C. McGinley, especially early on, is, you know, there's the running joke that he's, like, every specialist in- I wish they kept pushing that. Yeah, that's what I mean, like, <laughs> early on. Um, and you get this whole, you know, eccentric quirk of his where, you know, oh, I, I have to wear the hat or the uniform of the job, mm-hmm. and then I'm just in that mode. You know, I'm the inspector, and I'm being mean, I'm going to fine you, and then I happen to have my- you Construction know, hat. Cons- construction hat, so I put it on, and I'm like, oh, man, they're really bureaucrats bleeding you dry, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and by the end of the film, like, we don't really expand on that eccentricity too much. No. And we never really get- sort of like an explanation of like, okay, was there, did did John C. McGinley have a certain goal in mind at first? Because at first it does kind of seem like- He's a con man. Oh, he's like scamming him out of money. But in the end, we get this like really sympathetic thing and it was like, oh, okay. So, you know, they want to get along. But, you know, in the first film, we kind, I think in our discussion, we said like, oh, they barely established this thing. Later on in the film, we discover that Ice Cube also had a, you know, runaway parent. Yes. And I was like, oh, and he's kind of projected some of his traumas onto this. Whereas with the John C. McGinley character in this, we didn't really get a resolution to that. We kind of got the thing of like, oh, his wife died and he's lonely. Right. But is was was the eccentricities and like seeming like he's scamming him his way of combating that loneliness it's, too, it's them trying to have their cake, cake and eat it yeah that's what i mean it, there's two distinct characters from john c mcginley that funny comedy character and that forced manipulative emotional character see again sorry but this really did rip from planes trains and if you do that you're gonna get a whole can of whoop ass because that's one of the greatest comedy films ever made and one of the reasons it's great is because it pulls off sincerity hmm and uh, they're more than just comedy characters. They're people. And John Candy in that film wasn't just the quirky comedy character that John C. McGinley is at this. There was a mixing of the the real and the comedy character. So when you did have the, the tear-jerking moments, they were earned. They didn't feel artificial. They didn't feel like they came out of nowhere or that they were plugged in or stitched on uh, to fill this out. Well, here it is, John C. McGinley is playing wacky comedy character who might as well be friends with Lionel Hutz mm. from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. 
And then they try to make him like, no, he's a real guy. But then they go right back to him being the comedy guy. You can't have it both ways. You have to blend it. It's, and it's, they don't. It's this weird thing of like, oh, if you could enter the universe, you know, like John C. McGinley at the end of the film, you know, completely sincere, completely sincere. You can have an honest conversation with him. If you asked him the question of like, so what was up with you, you know, seeming like you were scamming me early on mm. in the film, the writer would then say like, oh, no, film's done. Yeah, yeah. We're not getting the answer to that. Uh, I want to ask you this, Will, to, to go off of Bartek's point. What do you think's at the heart of this? This issue, this this kind of dissonance here, because it is a major aspect of the movie is John C. McGinley and how you take his character of, of Chuck, isn't it? It's Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. I mean, it's, it is a hard thing to explain. I feel... This film would be a lot more cohesive and feel a lot more normal if they either stuck with the whole he's like oh he's got he's doing a bit with like multiple different jobs and he's scamming me and I don't know this might be me being psychotic but I almost got the impression in like the first few scenes he he's in that he's almost like gonna make moves on his wife yes. which is absolutely not how the yeah, plot well that, goes but yeah. that that is the vibe that, i was getting that's a trope Broby. that's a trope from these kind of stories that's though. the fear yeah, and that's yeah. the fear of the main character yeah. is there's this buff guy who's taking his place he's becoming the dad he's becoming the husband he's the one taking he's, the kid out fishing he's becoming yeah. the homemaker like the maker of the home so it's valid you can do that. You can do that, but you actually have to do it. Yeah, this it, again. It's trying to have its cake and eat it too. It's so weird. It, like the, I feel like we either needed to stick with this. He's the he's the con artist, and maybe he's a homewrecker as well. And he, like we keep escalating that, or he's like, he's like the lonely neighbor who is like constantly trying to make excuses to be there, but not necessarily trying to bleed him dry. Yeah. So I, you can we, have that, like, oh, he's, and then he's like, why is this mm-hmm. guy trying to get? Be here all the time. It's like, oh, he's lonely. Well, you know? we we like, had pick, this, pick a lane. We, we had this, and I, you know what? I here's a reason why I pulled Lionel Hutz out of my brain. Who played Lionel Hutz? Hartman. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. I almost said Butch. That's what film have we had Phil Hartman in? Uh, we've had him in two that I can think of. It was Coneheads was mm-hmm. one of them, and the other was just a cameo in Married Next Murder. No, 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 no. Jing- Jingle all the way. Oh, of course, the third one. And he yeah. was that in Jingle All The Way, where he was a minor side character who was intruding upon his house, and we, the audience, clearly knew why. And there was a loneliness aspect to him, like he's a he's a widower, wasn't he in that, I think, or like he's a, a single father who preys upon all the women. It's a dupe, it's like, it's a morally reprehensible thing, but we understand what he is. And so when he, we get the famous, put the cookie down, it's funny. While with John C. McGinley, he's a big character in the film. And you're not sure if you should take him that way or not, because it's like they're doing multiple things with him. But that, what Will is pointing at, that is a major thread. That is a major thread. And it does make you uncomfortable because it's like, is this kid's film acknowledging that or not? Because in the kid's film, Jingle All The Way, they did acknowledge it. So you were on board with Phil Hartman being the sleaze. But here it's like, you're you're uneasy. You're like, do they know? Or do they not? They do. But are they going to He's very touchy-feely in this. And it's it's, it's not just, are they going to, it's not only do they know, it's it's not only do they know as filmmakers, it's, okay, if they do know, are they actually going to explore it any? And the answer is 
No, only in the basic sense of it gives Ice Cube another reason to get mad. But it makes the wife look like a dumbass character too. The fact that she can't see it and it doesn't even come up in her brain. Like, it just... There's so many things... I mean, let's just keep focusing on John C. and Ice Cube for the moment because I have a yeah. whole thing to say about the rest of the family. <laughs> Jesus I just feels Christ. Like I almost can't... I almost can't fault the wife character for not picking up on it because it's like, it's not actually going to be relevant in the second and, half and, of the and, film. And she doesn't have a character. It kind of vanishes. With, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. With the Chuck character, I need to phrase this in a way that doesn't make it sound like a compliment or or an insult to myself, but... Um, I'm curious what you're going to say. Yeah, I'm Did curious you like to, him? Well, this is what I'm trying to get to. So early on in the film when, you know, you have this mystery of, like, oh, he's, like, scamming him, like, you know, the, the stuff's going on here. This the house is-, is breaking, he throws the pieces away. Yeah, and, and you're wondering, like, what what is this guy's deal? And I mentioned, I just mentioned now and I mentioned earlier that this is something that's only really pl- present at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I was in tune with this film's flow, if that makes sense. Yes. To where I- was feeling like what they were doing and what this character was meant to be. So, like, early on, it was like, oh, mystery element. But once they dropped that and he was just being the nice guy mm-hmm. who genuinely is trying to help, I understood that. I knew, like, okay, he's not making a move on the wife. You know, I understood this for some reason. Yes. But but then it is just this monotonous thing of, like, okay- like you said, reason for Ice Cube to get angry. And it's, it's a checklist. It's a checklist, and it's just kind of this repeating cycle kind of thing. And I was, in a way, like, oh, yeah, this is the quirk now. Oh, he's doing capoeira. Yeah. Yeah. I I was in groove with it as well in some way, but then, and this is what we love, and this is a part of why I love this as well. Don't get me wrong. This is an aspect I do love, but this is a family film. And some of the things he does as a character and as a performance, borderline. They they just, they are teetering on if this is inappropriate or not. And we love that. That's why I love Paul Giamatti and Big Fat Liar, because as a kid, it was thrilling to watch him do all these things that feel like they shouldn't be done in a movie for children. And John C. McGinley is doing that here. It's just him touching the belly. It does make you go, oh, all right. And just constantly like, smiling in a way where he feels like a psychotic villain from a horror film, he should be the real estate agent cousin of the family from Nothing But Trouble. Like, he feels like that where it's like, there's something creepy about him through it. And and I enjoy that, but... It's just like I don't sin- know if sinister the, wholesomeness kind of thing. But I don't know if the film... Know, like, I don't know if... I can't grasp if the film knows that. I think the film is in love with the quirky cartooniness of a guy who's putting on multiple personas and not recognizing them and being, like, Catch-22 bureaucratically circling around and around and making things more complicated and lying through omission a lot and then it ratchets it up. And again... If you've seen the TV show Green Acres, this character is Mr. Haney. Mr. Haney in Green Acres was an antagonist. He was a shifty con man salesman who would make the main character's life in that show worse. And we knew that and it was enjoyable. Here, it's like, do they actually want me to like him? Because here's the thing. I think it would work better if he's this 
this force positive character, this this optimistic bright light who knows everything. I can cure your asthma. I get on with the kids, and I da 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 da. I would be on side of the movie more if the movie itself didn't want me to like him. Because there are many movies we've covered where there's that overly perky, chirpy character that we hate because we are so in the shoes of our main character. Uh, and that it's enjoyable to hate them in a fashion. And that they are the antagonist to our cynical character. We've seen that countless times. But even in the first chunk, there were little moments where it's like, no, but don't you like this guy? And I'm like, ah, John C. McGinley's just too energetic for my life. Like, I, outside of Dr. Cox, I mean, have you guys seen Scrubs? No. Uh, yes. Okay, so you've seen Scrubs, Will. Dr. Cox is like a normal performance. Like, like it's what you would expect a sitcom character to be, where it's like, he's the surly doctor who knows better than everybody else. He's a cynic, but deep down, he's a good guy. John C. McGinley gives a normal performance for what you require. Like, it's House. It's it's the TV show House, like, as a comedy. Like, before House came along, like, that. Like, he's like Dr. House, but it's, com- it's overtly comedic. He's normal. But everything else I've ever seen John C. McGinley in, and we've done stuff, stuff with him on the show, like Highlander 2, where he was one of the antagonists. He was, like, the businessman. He always plays weirdos. He always plays freaks or... What should be a normal character, he delivers some bizarre twist to it, like in Office Space. We've all seen Office Space. He was one of the Bobs. Anyway, he should be playing a normal bureaucratic like office guy who's ju- like, auditing him, but he's got this little mustache and this kind of greased Nazi hair, which also we'll talk about Germany in a moment with this movie. But um... <laughs> <laughs> the language of discipline. <laughs> He is, like, rippling out of his work attire and that, like, because he's jacked, which we see here. And he's very, like, intense. And he puts that all here, and I don't know if it works, but I love it. It's that classic, you've cast this actor who does the thing, and you put them in a project where you go, should you have got that actor who does that thing here? Like, Academy Award nominee Paul Giamatti. Should you put him in Big Fat Liar? And the answer was a yes. A big resounding yes. Did you like him, Will? Chuck. The I, performance, the character, how Chuck, they treated him. Hmm. I, I I don't wanna I don't wanna like sort of repeat myself or repeat what you guys were saying, but it's like I think I would have liked it a lot more. Cause kinda at the start we're like scammer Lionel Hearts, and then we sort of move into like Ned Flanders, and then we sort of move into sad, lonely gentleman, you know? Oh, and I, I guess that also covers later Ned Flanders as well. It, it's, <laughs> the Simpsons has gone on too long. I can't, I can't go down those. Are you holes. saying that this is the Simpsons? Um, yes, maybe. Um, uh, but I, I like. I think I would have liked. I would have liked unhinged scammer Chuck a bit more. Once we go to like, oh, we're family. It's like, mm, especially because that's so. That's so not what you were doing at first. It's like I, I think I could have liked Chuck if we stuck with yeah unhinged scammer. Though I will say, the bit where Ice Cube is like ravaged by a swarm of bats, 
runs out the side of his house and Chuck just like kicks down his own door <laughs> shirtless with two loaded flare guns and just lets them go. I didn't laugh in this scene. I didn't laugh in any of this movie actually. <laughs> I but la- I, like, I laughed a lot. I, I laughed enjoy. A lot. I at least enjoyed that scene. You know what? If if the whole film was that deranged in that way, it's like oh, I could be. I could be. I could be interested. See, so well, do you not like the scene where it was the Hawaiian boys' party and Ice Cube? You know, he did the scene with the stepfather and the daughter thing, but then the scene couldn't end until we saw John C. McGinley, you know, twirl the fire sticks and then he's, throw it away. He's getting he's getting the guns out a lot in this film. <laughs> we, even got a, we even got a Wilhelm scream. You know? Yeah, that was insane. That was, okay, okay. Will's actually touched upon a great point here. Yeah. Did you find the film funny in the way that it was meant to be taken? Because I didn't. I found it funny in like this is too like in an ironic sense, like in a this is going way beyond like I'm finding it funnier than it is actually trying to be. What about you? Did you actually have some genuine laughs or humorous things out of this? It is interesting because, uh, you know, I I used the. In the last Listening People's Choice we did, we did Next Friday, and I described mm-hmm. that as a black comedy because, like, oh, it's comedy with, you know, a bunch of black characters, that kind yeah. of humor. And this one is a black comedy in the more general sense that we understand, like, oh, you know, bad, like, dark kind of things happen. In mm. in this case, maybe maybe not so much. It goes back to that whole idea of, like, oh, the suffering of others is funny kind of yeah. thing. And the first film did that, too. Are we there yet? You know, we, we, it was basically a whole film of Ice Cube suffering at the hands of these two kids who are constantly scheming against him and his car gets destroyed and he gets, you know, attacked yeah. by the deer, things like that. And the great thing is he brought that upon himself many times. Yeah. And in this one, like I said, every single scene is, you know, stuff happening to him. I really felt it in the very first scene, like in the condo that he, they lived in. Mm where we had the kitchen scene and, like, every few seconds, like, something goes wrong. Like, the pizza falls on his shirt. Yeah. The the thing falls out of the closet, gets the, the egg on him. Yeah. And he just accepts it. Yeah, like. and it's just constant, constant, constant. Like, oh, and that rhythm kind of kept up throughout the film. Usually there'd just be, like, the punchline at the end of scenes. Mm. So I guess in a sense it slowed down, but... Yeah, it just kept happening over it's and over monotonous. again. It's monotonous. It you was... start the movie with a Rube Goldberg-type comedy set piece, and then the house is the Rube Goldberg-type comedy set piece. You have nowhere to go. Yeah. Other than seeing if John C. McGinley's character, Chuck, who is so weird, how weird will he get? Is where my humor value of like it escalating. Because you just saying that about the apartment, I've almost completely forgot about the start of the movie. But they set up the humor in the way that it will proceed to be for the rest of the movie. It doesn't change. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't even heighten. Because all this talk about the house being constructed, am I the only one who's disappointed with the lack of comedy set pieces that they did get from the house being this device that could be used for said comedy set a lot pieces? Of them, a lot of them were just, oh, the thing that we touched broke. Like, you know, the, the yeah. roof he stood on broke, the, the wall mm-hmm. when the hands was on the wall. Or, like, him thing. being told, like, this thing is a problem, and him going, oh, and that's it. It is, it is weird, because you'd think, you know, in what is a fairly physical comedy about fixing, about a house that, like, is actually a, a, a ruin and they've got to fix it, 
it's like you'd you'd think there'd be more like wacky hijinks fixing the house, you know. But it's like a lot of it's just, uh, it's just like Bartek said. A lot of it is just, oh no, the house was beautiful, mm. but there's something wrong with it, and now it's wrecked. And they did. And now it was wrecked off do you re- screen. Do you, oh, rem- no. do, you, do you remember the funny gag where like they used the thing and it broke? Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. happens a lot. But here's too. the thing: are <laughs> not even often that big parts of the house. No, it's often they, like, they, and they you know? set up things and don't always pay them off. So, for instance, what's the first thing that he finds wrong with the house? Uh, it's that it's that light that falls off when they. Oh wait, during the inspection or when during the inspection? It's, it's is it when he thumps the, the wall off, is, and it like spins? No, it's burning him, his hand. He's burning the stove. his hand, isn't it? Yeah. Is it burning the hand that he first oh, he first oven. experiences? I was expecting that to become a little recurring a little recurring thing where he keeps forgetting about it and he keeps you know right because that's a thing that you but it's never touched again and you go oh well I guess they fixed it well was, there's well, no set like there's no well, recurring some, motif well, with that uh, maybe I didn't register because I thought something was cooking no yeah but like in the film you would use an like you're setting this up. There would be other instances where maybe the oven is on and he forgets and burns his hand and everyone else has adapted to it. Because that's the joke. I understand that, but... But I'm saying they didn't do that. And there's many moments like that. For instance, big deal about the bathroom. Mm. They... They did like no gags with the bathroom. Like, you got a private toilet. He sits on it. That's what sells him on being this house for him. And he's like almost crying on his own private toilet. What happened with that toilet? Did we get anything? Was there any scenarios had with that? No. Stop setting it up then. Stop glorifying it. Stop shining a spotlight on it because I, the viewer, am expecting hijinks to happen with that. I'm expecting that when he's at his low point, he will look over and the toilet's been removed mm. and something else has been put there and that will be like- And the, that'll be the, the straw cow- that- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like the, the, the more salt in the wound after his family has left or like- or even the family has left and all he's got left is the toilet. The one thing, right? Because they've moved into what was his little nook down the way. And no, they don't do that. And the the house thing, the house thing is, okay, now I think I'm the only one who's watched the TV show Green Acres. Yeah. Correct? Where the pitch of I, that is city guy and his European wife moved to the country because he's decided that he wants to do the country life. Uh, and he's an ignorant guy. Like, like he, he does farming in his suits, like his business suits with overalls and all of that. And one of the best things about that show is as the series goes along, more fucked up things happen to the house where it's like, and as somebody who grew up in a half finished home myself, that is so satisfying to see in comedy because it's like, okay, Ah, uh, this door won't close properly. So this happened to me in my life. Okay, this happens at my real home. The front screen door doesn't close properly. So instead of getting a new screen door because, no, we're going to keep this one and make it work or we don't have money or, oh, that door doesn't fit this, whatever, we would have to grab the screen door, grab its handle and and jam the handle up and then to the left to get it in to close it. Now imagine that every day of your life and you have to do it like two or three times a day and sometimes the door will unhinge itself and open and you have to close it. That's about living the lifestyle of growing up poor, growing up in a house that's kind of 
you know, your the light. The, I was the, thinking about your curtains thing on the way here. The actually. curtains <laughs> thing, where in my house, my family had curtains that were slightly too thin, so we would have to put sheets up in the afternoon over the curtain so the sun doesn't shine too bright, and so neighbors, so people can't see into our house. It's like, why don't we get new curtains? Well, Ryan, we can't get new curtains because the hooks that are installed inside the walls don't support the weight of the rods that could have the curtains that we need and it's like oh my god and you get stressed i'm getting stressed thinking about it right now and that's the fun of green acres and that's the fun of funny farm and probably the fun of the original film in which these little problems it is the you're you've got a sinking boat and you're just plugging up the all the little holes but there's just more holes and there's one big one sinking the boat that should have been this but instead the humor of the house is just ice cube walks in oh there's no floor now oh does that cause any major inconveniences for him? Like, does he fall in it? No. Like, does he have to get annoyed that his family has adapted? That's a missing element, too. There's there's a shadow of this, and I want to get you guys' opinion. There's almost an essence of the humor of... And this happened in Green Acres, where the wife got used to all the annoyances and all the inconveniences and the craziness of the construction of the house. I kind of can see that here where Ice Cube is frustrated and he feels isolated and alone and like the only sane man in the room because the wife and the kids have adapted to it. Yeah. That's kind of there, right? But they don't really mind much out of it. Do you agree or no? No, I basically do agree. I remember when I was, you know, after I finished watching the film, obviously there was the big thing of like, oh, a huge element from the first film, the kids are now, you know, a very minor element of it mm. um and i was asking myself like okay but is was there at least like a bare minimum excuse of some sort of arc going on with them and i guess what they had was well you're shaking your head but like the bare minimum excuse thing and i'm stressing bare minimum is like you know the girl doesn't want to leave her friends and opportunities for dating things like that which kind of you know develops when they meet the hawaiian boy mm. again bare minimum and with the boy, there's this sort of recurring line about having to teach him something, like a, a father mm. to a son, um, you know, outdoors experiences, fishing, things like that. And that gets, uh, th- that's one of the things John McGinley kind of steps in and does, mm. which, you know, Ro- Ice Cube feels as a slight against him. Um so there is this, you know, bare minimum thing going on, but it almost feels like sort of like a reversal of the first film where, like, we got a lot of the kids, but little of the wife, whereas in this one we get a bit more of the wife, but the kids are just kind of there. And what we get is nothing of the wife either. Like, like what we get yeah. of her is, like, I, I'm just going to say it, it's pretty sexist. I, I think the wife is just the worst type of female character you can have in your movie. One of the worst types where i'll get into it in a moment will what about you how did you come at this kind of angle of the movie like the the type of humor setups payoffs because you didn't find it funny like you didn't laugh no no i didn't i didn't laugh during the film i i i gotta agree with ryan i feel and bartek the two men in the room that we know of like there was um there was i don't know the family felt very out of focus and just i think bartek 
phrased the word like the bare minimum. Like they're just kind of there. They're, they're a check mark because it's like this is a sequel to a film where those characters existed. I, I was thinking you've already brought up this point much earlier in the episode. We haven't focused on it too much. The whole thing about this film apparently being based on an existing story. Like when I saw that in the credits, that really threw me off. Cause... Uh, and I looked up the cast of that original film. And that film, from my, from my understanding, had children in it. And a wife character, so... Yeah, but when I mix that fact with the fact that, you know, you barely feel that this is a sequel mm. beyond a couple of references, it almost does make sense to me why this doesn't feel as much like a children's film as the first one does. Right. You know, the first one, very common thing of like, oh, the two kids, you know, maybe young people watching the film could mm-hmm. relate to some of their yeah, struggles Yeah, like this kid there. gets bullied, he has asthma, but he's smart and nobody believes in him. And, oh, she has a secret talent. She can sing, but she yeah. keeps it to herself. And and again, I don't know anything about the story that this one is based on, but this that kind of does give me this idea of like, oh, maybe that's why this film, film, I said fi- feel, feel and film. film. I was going to say feel and film in yeah. the same sentence, but I said it at the same time. Uh, why this film films like, uh, you know, it feels more adult oriented in that sense. Right. Like maybe there is this so- sort of like cultured thing of like, oh, adults will understand you know, the comparisons to this, you know, yeah. the three central characters, if we're counting the wife as a central character. She has to. She's, she's a major yeah, they're, they're pushing all, point. They're all adults and the kids are kind of secondary. They're satellites to everything right. that's going on. If this wasn't a sequel, like if this wasn't like, if they made this script without it attaching to this previous success, I would bet you that it would have just been the wife an ice cube and she's pregnant that's all you needed yeah i bet you that's what would have happened and i know that because the, all of these a lot of these examples have that funny farm is about a new like about a couple who move to this country town they don't have a kid but they're going to want one but then they're deciding do i want one in an environment like this green acres they're like a middle-aged couple they don't have a kid so you don't have to worry about that and so on and so forth like and in fact a lot of these home reno misadventures it's about a young couple or a freshly married couple or even a retiree couple who are going through this new change but this is like you also have the kids too and it's kind of like eh, it's we, an obligation i just realized have we i'm sure we have and that's not my main point have we mentioned the pregnancy aspect yet Oh, the wife's pregnant with twins. Yeah, the wife's pregnant with twins, and that's, you know, recurring. Yeah, we mentioned, like, the, you know, touching the yes. belly, stuff like that. And that is a thing that, you know, gets mentioned early on and, you know, referenced throughout. Like, oh, I'm a midwife, she's doing the uh, sessions, yeah, things like yeah. that. Eventually, when we have the, you know, this film's equivalent of third act breakup, you know, the, the low- The waters po- break. The really low point. Um, the, well, the water breaks after that. Yes. Um, we get a line from Neil Long, the, the wife, something like Ice Cube is stressed about, you know, having to become a father or something like that. Yes. And I guess we could, we could you know, take that from some of the events of the film, but I don't feel like that was ever really a central thing. No, it. it was more about his magazine. Yeah. And so when she said that, I'm like, oh, was that meant to be something we were getting? Another failure of the film is that and it also ties in with well what do they replace it with it's his stress about the magazine and the stress about the magazine comes in two ways obviously the most superficial which is money 
money to sustain their lifestyle, money to be happy, to have a family that's on the way. That's always a a pressure. But the more character-based thing is this is his dream. This is his thing. And in the apartment scene, he could never have his own thing because it was consumed by the family life that he's had. And, And then obviously now this is that amplified. Oh, now he's got to do the family life of being the dad to these kids, being a dad to new kids, being a husband, being the guy who's the head of the home. And since he doesn't want to do those things fully, he wants to, but he really wants to do the magazine. John C. McGinley steals that from him, so he perceives. So he gets angered by it, so he he loses focus on the magazine aspect in the movie because not only is he literally distracted from it, but he himself loses focus on it because he's so consumed with this rivalry and that's great and all but i really do loathe in movies like this where they go out of their way to remind you that money is a thing money is important money is essential money 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 and then halfway through the film it enters that realm of movies where money is no concern i noticed that as well like thr- and so the stakes were lowered and Ice Cube's reasoning for being an asshole were dramatically reduced as well. Yet he's still right, by the way. I just want to bring that up. Yeah, this really, first half of the film, there's a recurring thing of like, oh, he's being really cheap. He doesn't want to shout the money. They could just barely afford things. Well, barely. He said they could afford the house twice over. Um, but th- there is, you know, a real threat to it. It's like when he gets fined by the inspector, you know, Chuck. Yeah. There is this thing of like, oh, man, you could have avoided that if you just paid for it normally. But then, again, this goes back to me being in the film's wavelength. Once once he, you know, kind of moves there and he's got all these people that he's connected with working on the house, the film just kind of feels like, okay, well, the house is going to get complete. Everything's set. The there isn't a how am I going to pay for this plot going on, and they really don't mention money anymore. But it is strange, because they do emphasize it so much. They keep telling us how expensive things are and how much this is going to bleed him out. Every time he mentions it, they laugh. Like, (laughs) Yeah, during the portion of the film where the idea of, like, is he a scam artist is up in the air, but once Mm. they drop that, they also drop, you know, money being important. Yeah, it's... It's a mess. This movie's a mess. It's it's too back to front, a complete and utter mess. But I laughed a lot. Unlike you, Will, I did laugh a lot. John, I mean, Chuck is just so... <laughs> I, I thought there was one gag that I was like, this is a Bartek type thing. I thought you, Bartek, would enjoy his putting on the different hats thing that he did early yeah. on. And that he's like, oh, you're lucky. It's in the car. <laughs> and, just, and he does have it literally in the car. It's just like, it's a, it's yeah. a literal hat. I mean, now. look, to- before it was like a metaphorical hat, but now, now it's a literal, like, no, you're like, I literally got this hat in here. I, like- mean, I mean, look, at the end of the day, two words that we haven't said yet unappreciated masterpiece. This is that kind of film where yeah. it failed, people weren't talking about it. It's got these wacky things in it that, like, we kind of enjoy from unappreciated masterpiece. Yeah. And John C. McGinley really is like you know he's the mvp a very staple part of that so even though we've we've honestly shit on him quite a lot in terms of like his relevance in the plot but he was entertaining when taken at face value he is dedicated to a fault 
uh, as an actor. And that's okay, because at least somebody is. <laughs> Ice Cube couldn't give a shit. Nia longs here to collect well, a check, Cube... and the kids were left in the trailer. <laughs> I Ice Cube didn't oh, have Ice Cube didn't have his buddy Satch with him this film. So <laughs> who who was he meant to remember the bobblehead will? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, I so he couldn't. Hey, he, that is he had magic. That is like one of the most prominent things in the first one. <laughs> he and had it's magic. Just not yeah, that's here. A, that's he another magic. That's another thing. Like you know, he's doing the magazine. They mentioned Magic Johnson a million times throughout the film, so it was less of a thing of like, oh, they got him, and more like, <laughs> oh, finally there he is. <laughs> Obviously, he was going to appear in this film. With I all wish that he was a main character somehow. Because sometimes <laughs> they do that in movies. Like, uh, was it Uncut Gems, where they got like a real basketball player to be like a pivotal <laughs> thing in that film's plot? Uh, I would have liked it if it was a thing of like, he, you know, that he calls at the end when they're giving birth. It's like, Mara's giving birth. Like, oh shit. And he just hangs up and you never hear him again. <laughs> now, this is a sequel. And there are characters that existed in that previous film. That are here. You said it. Neil Long was in the previous film. Didn't get much to do because we had to go away from her. Now she's here full time. Full time, but she had a full time job in the previous film. Yeah, yeah. And she, <laughs> she was the rich one who could afford a home. Mm-hmm. Remember the home? that? Why did they move away from the home if he no longer has a shop to maintain? Like, I could understand the complaint being like, well, we had to sell the home because it was out of the way and I need a closer to my shop. But it's like, no, I sold my shop for my own online magazine. And we live... Uh, it made you question... If you've seen the first film, it makes you question a lot. But if you're me, you took it at face value. You go, oh, I think okay, this is just how life is. I, I mean, Ryan, I feel like this this film was so disconnected from the last one that... I just didn't think about I just didn't think about the home they had in the first one. Yeah. Which is quite prominent, you know, they chuck the bucket on that bloke. I mean, it's I, like it looks like he dies, you know. <laughs> he doesn't actually, but it looks like it. It looks like you're covered in cum. Yeah. I think the central You know, it looks like the cum kills him. Sorry, Bartek, I wanted to say that by There was we something like that. Oh, that was the beginning of the That was the literal yeah. and it was at her house. Yes. She lived in a proper house to have kids. Yeah. And the way and he kept she picking was, up, yeah, 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 yeah. He kept picking her up from the house. Yeah. She had a house that they apparently gave up for his apartment that couldn't maintain children. Just, I think the central truth behind most of the mysteries we've had here... Is this a pre-existing script that they had to put new names on? Uh, I have some jokey things to say about that, but no, I think the central truth for real is... You know, we've mentioned, you know, why did they switch John C. McGinley's, you know, characterization or, like, potential... So radically, um, why are there like these differing values things mm. going on? It feels to me like every scene is taken in isolation and it was just mm. written in a way of like, okay, what's the funny thing we can do here? Mm. Don't worry about, you know, pre-established absolutes. Pretty much skits. Yeah. How how eccentric do we need John C. McGinley to be in this scene to get this kind of laugh that we want? Don't worry about yeah. what his central, you know, truth is. It feels like, yeah, this film was scenes that were maybe written one at a time, not necessarily pieced together, but yeah. but they are pieced together, but not in the way that like there is the coherent characterization going on. So with the wife, why I think it's a very sexist portrayal or very unflattering portrayal is very many times in media, they always have, it's the guy doing what Ice Cube does here. 
And he's like this unreasonable man. Will's nodding because he's like, I know, I know. It's like, he's this unreasonable man. He can't see the beauty of family in front of him. And it's like, and the wife is totally against him and not on his side. And I always find that inherently bullshit trait in movies because it's like, they have no real autonomy. It's just like, she's the antagonist she's an antagonist she's like the homemaker the home wife so of course she sees it as this beautiful thing like she's a woman how does she not see in any light any of the things that ice cube says as being valid like if they're real partners as the guy who's married myself i would listen to my partner and she would listen to me if any of these were raised concerns but she shuts him down all the time and doesn't even try and that's how these movies work because they want you to be on ice cubes like in ice cube shoes but to know that he's wrong so she's there as basically not the nagging wife but the oblivious wife the the wife who doesn't recognize the insanity that's going on around them and they love it and it's so great and you should embrace it and it's a thankless role all the like and she's, oh, and she's pregnant, and we're waiting for that clock to finally strike at the moment in the script where it's like, now it happens, she gives birth. I found it inherently, and she's an object in the movie because she doesn't have mo- she doesn't have a storyline of her own. It's not like we see the positive that she gets out of John C. McGinley firsthand. We see it through the prism of Ice Cube. Do you know what I'm saying? It's... <laughs> It's kind of weird that, like, in the first film, you know, the one of the big goals was like, oh, win her over. Mm-hmm. And then in this film, like, at the beginning of the film, that's not the point. But in the end, he kind of has to win her over again. And we don't get to know her. Like, I can't tell you a single thing about her as a person. I mean, Other than the- she is pregnant. She is a woman. She is his wife. I think she the- likes John Cena. Like, what's her personality? Yeah. I think in the first one, we didn't even know what her job was, even though we kept seeing her at it. Right. <laughs> I mean, Will, how do you come at this? Um, How do I come at this? Let me think. But first, wait, first I want to jump back because I think something, things I said got misunderstood from something that I, Bartek said, but I might have been misunderstood. I might have been misunderstanding what Bartek un- you, said. You, like but let film, me jump wait, back. Let like, me jump back. Okay, like, well, the answer is Bartwomie, first of all. Like the, That's the, the first like thing the I misunderstood. Film, like the film, any chance you get, you want to jump away from any connections from the previous film into you know, what we are talking about now. Go. I got to jump away from film one. I've got to jump away from the wife. You know, I I am the film now. Um, The thing I want to like, because it's like, I think, uh, yeah, no, Bartek said the thing. It's like, oh, it sounds like we're shitting on, uh, sounds like we're shitting on Chuck. It's like, I want to be clear. It's like the performance of Chuck is good. It's like, it's the script and his character. Oh yeah. I didn't think you hated like, um, that is like the incoherent part. No, no, I agree. I just needed to bring the unappreciated masterpiece thing because we hadn't said it yet. Yeah. Now where do I, where do I come at this? Goodness. Um, because how many times have we seen this character type? The, the wife who's just kind of like, honey, stop working so hard so I can live this lavish lifestyle that we're living. It's like, it's sort of, are you for real? It sort of ties into something you brought up before, Ryan, and you brought up, Bartek, where it's like, in the first half of the film, he's in a very precarious financial situation because, like, the house, having the house and fixing it all up, it's all dependent on the advance, which is very much in flux if he doesn't get this done and it doesn't look like he's getting his work done. But then that kind of goes away in the second half, at which point he 
as that has sort of faded away, he's then becoming more unreasonable as a result. Right. Which is, we're in. It sounds like it. That, we're in strange no, no. country. I just, want, here. I just want to clarify. When you say it, that sounds like how a movie would work. Like you know, you know, he's he's so far gone that everything's kind of dropped. But when you're watching it, it is so clearly like segment A, segment B. It's so blocked off. It never like you said, Bartek. Like it's like they film this thing in solidarity and then kind of it's bits. It's not a, a nice quilt that's been weaved together. It is just like blocks next to each other, and it's very artificial. But you, you know, like with um, with the family in general, it, you can tell like they're in an annoyance to the script because they serve no purpose other than they must be there. Like they they do things, but you can tell that the script is like it's it's begrudgingly half having to do them. Like if I was a script writer. Like, if I have to embody the script writer of this, it would be like, okay, tell me the plot script writer, and you'll go like, okay, here's the plot. Ice Cube moves to here, and John C. McGinley's this crazy guy, and then and then, and then you keep explaining, and then they'll get to... And, and, you know, John C. McGinley is teaching the kids a lesson, but I don't want to show that on screen, really. I just want to have him do the hats thing, and, like, every time it's like, well, what does the sun get up to in the movie? Oh, I guess he, he, I guess he folds his clothes when he moves in, and he throws them up in the air. And, oh, and he and he calls Nick a cool dad. Yeah, and um, I guess his asthma is cured because that was a real story beat in the last movie that I don't want to put in this movie. In the movie where they move to the country, which would totally either fuck with your asthma or do a lot of good for it, depending what type you have. And in the last movie, we saw it fucked with his asthma, so. I don't want to do that. Or what's the girl up to? You mentioned this, that the girl's like, oh, part of it's like she's going to miss her friends or whatever. I know that that's kind of there, but I really didn't get that. Like when she just, like, it was just a montage of like, and we're leaving now. And she just says, like, hugs her friends goodbye and then just leaves. But I didn't really feel like there was a a major loss there. Well, the thing there is you brought up the show aspect, but you're not acknowledging all of the tell because that gets brought up like four times this is, but, but you need to show because it doesn't show us really her bummed about it it just is like she's on the phone to them like like mainly it's her trying to get on the phone to them and they have shit reception and then sometimes she does talk to them and then she just and i think too is since she's such a snarky character it's hard to tell if it's a genuine like sadness for her that she no longer has friends or it's just another way to get at Nick for being a dumbass because at the beginning of the movie she's doing the I can wear makeup Nick I don't give a rat's ass about you you're not my you know that type of thing and she delivers it in a similar manner with the line delivery of being like this is your fault Nick that we're out here and I don't have any friends like it doesn't I don't feel like she genuinely misses them. I'm just being told it. Like, again, it's the script being like, I have these characters here. What's the bare minimum, as you say, Hmm. to sustain them being in the script? I guess I'll throw in some lines where she says she misses her friends. I mean, 
again, yeah, it is bare minimum, but the difference is, like, I just bought it at face value. Like, oh, yeah, she would miss her friends. I would miss my friends if I And I didn't the buy it at face value, because I don't think they developed it in any way significantly. Well, they didn't, but... No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, and I didn't buy it. I almost forgot about that being any kind of conflict or any type of thing until you brought it up. Like, I wouldn't have brought it up. If you didn't, because it was so insignificant. I feel like it was half her lines, though, for what little she and, had. And, and she's barely in the movie. That's the thing. Most of her lines are about the boy. Well, that was also part of, like... Well, where do you it, come yeah. at it? Because you saw the previous movie as well. I mean, um, like, where do you fall on, on this when it comes to, like, the kids and the implementation and, like, what they're trying to give them? I mean, the daughter definitely has... More. Maybe... I'm. <laughs> That's a that definitely is getting a little reconfigured in my head. It's like probably the most and has like the clearest arc of like, you know, she wants to be more independent. She's getting into boys, but Nick's, you know, a bit, you know, overprotective and he's got to learn to deal with all that. But it And then again, by the end she all, gets the boy. Yeah. It all feels a little bit out of focus and it's just like I mean, it's like like the the guts of it are all there, the skeleton of it is there, but there's kind of not much else, and so it it didn't really stick with me. It's the rack. You know what I'm going to equate it to? It's the raccoon. I thought the raccoon would be because the raccoon is in the the opening animated credits. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be a recurring thing, but it's mm-hmm. just one scene. They set Same up the deer. They 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 maintain the raccoon thing for like a way where you go. Well, if we talked about the movie. I do mean this, and I'm not being snarky, I'm not being vindictive or, or facetious. The daughter's thing is similar to the raccoon to me, where it's like they talk about it a lot and then they minorly do it and then move on. It's just like, yeah, it's there, I guess. Like, if we talked about this movie, you have to mention that the raccoon is a thing, but then you watch the movie and the raccoon's not really a thing. Yeah, it's in the it's, animation, you see the shit at one point, you get, and then you, you get, get the like, scene. You get promised that it'll be a big deal. You see the one scene where the raccoon doesn't actually do anything. It's him. He falls through the thing. Like, the raccoon just exists. Again, if I- Well, it puts here, up its dukes, but then that it, doesn't get paid off. Was it just too hard <laughs> and to speaks. film with the raccoon? Because there's a lot of- he gets chased or fights in animal scenes in this movie. Was it just too hard to okay. film with the raccoon? Again, this is ripping from the John Candy, Dan Aykroyd film, Great Outdoors, where they're told raccoons are a bad thing. And John Candy is trying to figure out all these ways for the raccoons to stop eating their fucking trash and food. And he's doing all these elaborate things. And then at the end, because this Great Outdoors is like, you know, each segment like it's you know got segments of like them having shenanigans at the daytime and them having shenanigans at the nighttime and then each segment kind of like each day ends with the raccoons foiling john candy's trick of getting in the garbage and they speak in raccoon but we get subtitles and it's like humorous subtitles and that's kind of like the beat and they keep recurring and it's like again it's taking this little problem and blowing it up oh we got raccoons Oh, I guess I'll put the lid on next time. Oh, they kick the lid off. Oh, well, I guess I'll put the lid on with like a, a, a like a lock thing on it or like a, a latch. Oh, they 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 got through the latch. Okay, well, I guess I'll put a and it keeps going on and on and on and on. And the raccoons have an opinion on it too. Here, it's like they set up this raccoon like it's going to be this nefarious enemy for him to foil against and 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 
put its dukes up against. Like, I, I, I sincerely thought there was going to be a moment where him and the raccoon were going to have a stare down, like we, a proper, yeah, like, we even you have, did this again, you motherfucker. We like, even, I believe you. We even have a scene where, like, it sort of, like, sort of starts, like, oh, it's going to be a follow-up, but then it's like, no, 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 it's something else. It's the bat scene where, like, mm. they heard a noise, and it's like, oh, no, that's not the raccoon's noise, that's something else. Because he's been paying attention to the raccoon so yeah. much. And, and then that's the last thing of the raccoon ever. What about I this? mean, the raccoon can even speak. What about this? There's like, it's a sapien It can only form, say you know? suckers. It must be its Pokemon name or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get out. I mean, it's not- It could Get be- out. It could say more. It's not Look, enough of the movie all I'm to say- know. Guys, guys. No, I think- I, I said that thing as a joke, but I'm actually going to double down on that Pokemon <laughs> thing. Pokemon was established as existing in this universe in the first film. It was, because I got to hear Ice Cube say it <laughs> with his mouth. I will not- forgive this movie for another aspect too which is clear setup no payoff what's the little boy's name i forget good job that's how memorable he was (laughs) nothing to defend with him they set up that he finds going further away from the house creepy like in the daytime yeah this is creepy this is scary then they have the deer scene which is I almost had a I almost like bit my tongue off having a stroke seeing the deer scene there. It was it was truly wild. And I was waiting for that to pay off in some way where it's like, oh no, there's some shenanigans that happen at night, perhaps. And you see that Ice Cube does find it as scary as the little boy does, and showing that him and the little boy have a lot more in common, and maybe they have a little something around like a little set piece out there. And maybe the boy overcomes his fear of nature. I'm putting in work. Because you want all the characters in the family unit to matter. Because we know that they can in movies. Paddington movies are great like that. Where all the Paddington movies, the two Paddington movies, each family member has a thing. And each thing helps contribute to the main plot. So it doesn't feel as mechanical as like separate inserted tabs. This doesn't even try. So I'm sitting here pulling my hair out going, I wish the little boy, I'm writing a script for him. And the actor's thanking me from the past. <laughs> Reading my script being like, I love this set piece that I'm getting. Because he was the main heart of the first movie. The little boy. Yeah. It's, it couldn't be bothered here. It's such a weird thing. and we, we touched on this. This will keep coming up. All right. The first one, like, it's a road trip movie. This one, it's like we're all in one location, but we're like, we're like really boxed in here. It's like it's a big property, and there's you know a lake and tons of woods around, and a whole small town full of wacky, quirky people. But we're really, for most of this film, mm-hmm. really corralled into the this, first. The first film, this really, house, you the, know, the first film really had more country than this one. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> They don't stay anywhere particularly long, but they were in small towns in the countryside and the woods yeah, well, it was, in the first one. It was a, it was a road trip film, so yeah. like you only had these places for like you know one or two scenes at a time, and you move on. That's kind of the but appeal you had of it. memorable aspects to them, like oh, the truck driver thinks this, yeah, and I then still... he becomes a recurring element in the movie, yeah. and then they team up at the end because he didn't actually, you know. And just because it was a road trip film, like, even though nothing necessarily big happened at them, like, I still remember some of the locations, like, oh, there was that one petrol station, yeah, had I, some, I remember had some that trucks too. in the background, the, there was that one stop, there was that one highway. There was the rail, there was, like, the, the, the train tracks. Yeah, the train tracks near the petrol station. And, you know, it's so on and so forth, because they're memorable, here it's just like 
They don't do enough with the house to make it memorable, so you're left going, well, I'm with the characters, and the characters are false. Because I think if there's anything else you guys want to touch upon before I get here, I think the closing thing I want to get to is the John C. McGinley dramatic turn and what we thought of it and how we ingested it and all of that. But is there anything else you guys want to kind of delve into before we get there? Because I feel like that's the main big thing that I have left. I would like to sort of expand on a point you brought up with. It's like we're in this house for like the vast majority of the film, but it's like not a memorable house, whereas like Chuck's house that we only see in the background at some points where it's like the quirky little bright blue house with a big circular window. It's like, I think I actually found that house more memorable than the house they're in for 90% of the film. You're correct, because the house they have is a studio set where they have the big floor so that the characters can run around and have fun. Well, Chuck's house is memorable. It's like, oh, that that feels like a, a... a person specifically made this house for some reason, and obviously we know that's important to him because it's all about home instead of houses. Uh, Bartek, anything from you? Uh, yes, it's Bartomir. Okay. So, but no, anything else from you you want to touch upon? <laughs> Any moments? I, I guess one one bit of praise I can give the film is there was one scene that, you know, had a bit of a twist to the formula that I liked. Mm. It was the scene with the squirrel where, yeah. <laughs> where he sees the squirrel. that's like eating like a tablet or something. It's like well, his stomach. It's tums. Yeah. Yeah. His stomach's For like hurting. Tummy. So he wants to go to the toilet and he sees the squirrel like licking it. And, you know, he was like gently talking to it, you know, coaxing it over. And I was like, oh, okay, it's going to like bite him. Bite him. Or it's going to piss sh- on him or something. I was I think he's shit, actually, but piss as well. It's like, how is this squirrel going to wrong him? And then <laughs> it's that a bird just swoops in and takes it away. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> that, that actually surprised me. I, I appreciated that. <laughs> I like that scene. <laughs> okay. So the movie made a choice. <laughs> To make us like John C. McGinley. Okay, well, I guess I'll ask this. Before the twist of John C. McGinley, did you like him? Like, genuinely like the dude? His character. Did you like him? I guess. Are you sure? You're you're, you're really grimacing at your own (laughs) response. You could say no, because I thought he was just an asshole. A lovable asshole, but I didn't genuinely feel for him. No, I I can't say no that I didn't like him. I I liked him all right, I guess. Will? It's a willy. I... <laughs> you fucking owned me. I I wanted... I, look, the truth is, I wanted him to be a cunt. Thank you. I, I think that would have been... I think I would have enjoyed that much more. And and to be honest, like, I like the, like, oh, I need all my different hats to do my different role kind of joke. But it's like, I want to see that just keep getting more and more I mean, extreme if, until, if like... Qu- I wanted him until to Until he has, like, a whole... Hold on, he, like, switches the, into nine different uh, roles. Hold on a second. If the question is, did I want more from him, then yes. More than that. I, I yeah. mean, we got, more, we got all we could. Yeah, yeah. the question was, did you like what you were given? Um... Before no, the twist. I, I, I felt the, I felt the, the change of heart. It didn't feel like... It didn't feel like, oh, we thought he was one way, and then he revealed who he truly is it felt like he was one way in the first half and he's another way in the second well he's and it it just is no it's he's another way for that one scene and then when he came back he was immediately the other way again where it almost felt like that was a manipulative tactic because he comes back and he's like beeping the horn and he's going like full like crazy mode and like dude 
you're at that point where you can just be like genuine with Ice Cube now, but you're doing this and it's like, why? Because that's funny. We can't go back to the sincere him now. I didn't like the guy. I'm, I'm like, well, I was rooting for him to be more of like a villain and a cunt and a bad guy and like a piece of shit. And so when they did this genuine turn, well, not genuine, like this turn of him being a genuine sweet guy who had a tragedy about his dead wife, obviously I saw it for the ripoff it was of Planes, Trains, and um, they didn't earn it, so it offended me on that level. I also noticed But yeah, it offended trains. me because I was like, you're a liar to the film. Like, you're a liar. You are now trying to make it that John C. McGinley was just this innocent little flower of a character Chuck was this innocent flower that we shouldn't have been looking at negatively because he's got a dead wife. Fuck you. Yeah, why did he have to lie about that, too, is a thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, he that's do- the really big thing for cause, me. Because is- he directly lies. John, John Candy misleads. He doesn't directly lie in that film like you're led to believe but he doesn't actually say my wife is in china right now touring and she's alive he just says like i haven't seen her you know i have a wife haven't seen her in ages you know like i i i I don't he even says i don't have a home Mm. i was like oh i haven't been home in years is what he says and it's like he's not lying but you are misled he's like oh you know figure of speech but it is true that he hasn't been home in years but it's also true of figure of speech here it's like he, he does directly lie and so it's like why? Because we want the script to hit you here now. I just, the film itself was lying to me because, like you will, I, I was like, this guy's a cunt. I want him to be more of a cunt. And now the movie's saying, guys, he was never a cunt. He was never a bad man. Dead wife, you cry now. Tears form and your perception of him has changed. Yeah. No, it didn't. It was lies and manipulative and false. And I laughed when you had the scene where the neighbor who's been a non-character goes, Hey, you, you're feeling pretty good about treating that guy like shit. Well, you didn't know this tragic thing, did you now? That scene was hilarious. Like that that neighbor, everything about it was just... (laughs) It was like Tommy was so level. First he gave us a sturgeon, then he gave us a T-bomb. (laughs) <laughs> t-bomb truth bomb <laughs> but that felt like a like a tommy was so trick was like now i am telling you this thing now you must feel we are best friends <laughs> i have sad backstory i feel so betrayed <laughs> everyone betrays me i'm fed up with this world the i just world <laughs> i know i'm fed up with this world uh i mean what did you I mean, what was your reaction to this, Will, when it first happened? Like, what was your gut reaction to the scene? Ah, uh, just, just kind of, just kind of a shrug. It's like, eh, it, it, it's not working. <laughs> just like, not even like, oh, I can't believe the film lied to me like this. It was just, ah, it's just not working. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Will. You didn't, you didn't put the work in. It's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was a thing of like, oh, okay, well, at least give me a bare minimum excuse, but they didn't give me that. <laughs> the, the excuse being like, oh, why did he lie? Oh, no, okay. As a fan of what this is ripping off, how do you feel about that? Like, not just it ripping it off, but how it executes it, the differences between the two of planes, trains, 
and this. Because it's the same idea, but done in drastically different ways and different points in the movie too. How do you feel about that, Bartok? I mean, it's that film's not as close to my heart as it is for you, so I'm not going to say that I was offended by it or anything, but I did say earlier that I did think of that film in many mm. ways for this one, and simply put, that film did it much better, and it worked. Yeah, but, like, how did it do it better for you? Like, because it's like, this movie, we agree, it does this, this moment is a failure, but it's the same idea. So how come this idea's execution fails here and succeeds elsewhere? Well, I think you? I think you already brought up the whole thing of of you know the film. That film didn't lie; it misled. It was believable when that uh, came to be. I it's been a long time since I've seen. I haven't seen it as many times as you have, but I just remember that in that film it worked because it made sense right. based on everything that we had with that character previously. Yeah, and this didn't make sense specifically for you because he does directly lie and you were waiting for them to explain mm. why he did yeah. even lie. Even with, you know, my incredibly lower standards because I'd seen the rest of the film, I saw mm. that, you know, things weren't adding up. It was like, okay, give me at least the bare minimum so I could say that, okay, you had something, but uh, okay. it didn't have that. One last question before I ask if you guys recommend this. And this is me, maybe face blindness, maybe I just didn't clock it. Who was the woman Chuck was with at the end of the film? When it cut away to him at his house and he's got his arm around this woman and it's like he's got a new love. Who was that? I also wondered that. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that had come up before. I don't know. Did you guys, did you guys react like that? Because yeah. I remember that vividly from my high school experience. It was like, and then he's with this woman and I'm sure I'll see her on the next watch round. Who was that? It was such a brief thing that I I do definitely remember being like, oh, who's that? But then he, once it cut away- That's like, his conclusion. He's one of the main characters, Chuck. That's his conclusion is him quick shot from far away with a woman that we kind of don't know, evidently. That's his conclusion. Yeah, it's weird that he was put into the same frame as someone we don't know. I With his arm wrapped around her waist, yeah. I mm. will completely admit it's possible it has it does come up in the movie and I just missed it. But I don't know who that was. Thank you. I was just, I I was going crazy mm. last night because I was thinking, who is this? Is this a townsperson we've met? Is this me not looking at it correctly? And maybe it's that neighbor's wife that gave the news about the death because he had a wife, and maybe it's just like like Chuck's being overly touchy again, and I'm misconstruing. But like that shot visually kind of communicated to me that. Everyone's everyone's happy now. Look, Chuck now even has a girl. Because he was his sadness was that he lost his wife. You know, uh, and now he's happy because now he has a girl. And I I, I I really thought I would know who it was, and <laughs> one of you would also know. Okay. And I'm so, so sorry. You, so you walked into this film with that question in mind. Okay. <laughs> That's why it's such a big deal. To- it's also a big deal because no, it's, I'm not. It, I'm not downplaying that, but it just makes more because I, again, I remember that experience, but I forgot about it until you brought it up. Yeah, is the thing, which is weird for a conclusion of one of the main characters mm. of the story that you forget. <laughs> yeah, to elaborate on the emotion of the of the Chuck twist, the chist. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like to compare it to like the previous film, 
And of all the things to say about are we there yet, I wouldn't say it's like a uh, like a hard hitting, heartfelt film. Mm-hmm. But it's like even like the the big emotions of that of like, oh, he the kids go to the estranged biological father's house and he's got another family and he's moved on and you know, it's like, oh, that's Oh, that's sad, you know. It's like, that's not exactly like, oh, my heart is breaking, but, you know. It was set up. At least it's the bare minimum. Like, it's set up. At least it's something. Did you guys like the scene in this film where, uh, you know, they were going to give birth and he was on the phone and giving Mm. the instructions and then towards the end of it, like, the reception broke, and it's like, oh, no, how are they going to communicate? But it doesn't matter because he was already at the house. Well, the joke is they're only at their location to their bad reception. <laughs> Everyone else has good reception, which was set up earlier. What I couldn't take seriously was we're having this scene, and I'm sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. He puts on his little walking outfit with the short shorts, and we have this one shot where we're seeing him from behind, and I just saw John C. McGinley's butt cheeks, just like, just his butt cheeks. Did you, just, say, did you say thank you? And I said, John, you're ripped. We know it. Stop showing us your buns. <laughs> this film is very horny for John. That's what I mean. There's also like this uncomfortable <laughs> it's nature where very it's like, horny for John. Where, where there is these shots of like he's a really ripped guy, and I and I'm like, like I said, like uh, I wasn't there for it, but like I mentioned like all the time about wild hogs. He's a cop, right? He's like this weird, sexy, buff cop, and there's this uneasy, and that's a family film. That's made by Disney. It's a family film for children and yet it's weirdly not and that's where like i link him in both films in a way where like if you told me they were the same character i would believe you because they like overly friendly and the film weirdly sexualizes them yet it yet you go no that can't be right this is a family film why would they be sexualizing dr cox from scrubs in this way if if you have a dr cox fetish this film meets it. Whoever I view, it's like you're the audience for this film. You're the audience for this. If, if you're horny for Doctor Cox, it's like this is your movie. This is your movie. This, this is, is your moment in the sun. <laughs> this is your moment, baby. You get a lot of buff, shirtless John C. in this. Well, the, the Wild Hogs was a bit of a midlife crisis film, so you know it had to be a bit more mature there. Yeah, it had to be, and he, he and he was uh, uh, the e, the weird gay cop in that movie. Mm. All right, enough. We're done now. <laughs> the question is answered. Uh, did, uh, with the animation, like at the mm. end, you know how you know they brought it back for the credits. Mm. I like to imagine that, like the director was like, "Okay, Ice Cube, for the end of the film, you have to bow." And he's like, "I'm not doing that." <laughs> so they're like, "Oh shit, we have to animate him." But then the rest of the cast might have said something like, "Oh, we'll bow." It's like no, it'll be weird if you're the, <laughs> if he's the only one animated. We have to animate all of you. I um, <laughs> was scared when he went under the water and had CGI eyes. <laughs> That <laughs> was very unsettling. You know who else was afraid underwater? <laughs> the fish. <laughs> the fish. I laughed at that. That was funny. Uh, I don't recommend this movie. Uh, I don't. It's weird, but I, I found it personally too frustrating. It's like, as bizarre as it is, I just can't tolerate when a movie tries to forcefully earn its emotional twists like this it's just it's false i just get so angry that the film thinks that ice cube is wrong and i get so angry that 
it as a film is like to me lying. I'm I don't tolerate it very easily. Will Willie, where what do you where, where do you land? Recommend? No. Yes. I mean, I I think I can try and sum it up a bit succinctly. It's like this film is actually I can't do it succinctly, not at all. <laughs> um, this film go. is weird, and even after all this time in this discussion, I still haven't come to grips with with how it was weird. But it's not it's not really very interesting weird, and I I I think sort of the best way to sum it up is I don't recommend this. Because it doesn't even reach the heights of "Are we there yet?" Hmm. and that is not asking much. <laughs> Are we there yet? Was better. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think I also don't recommend it, but not all that firmly because, like we said, John C. McGinley very much is an unappreciated masterpiece's performance in this. Yeah. Well, I said the act, the, the Chuck character played by John C. McGinley very much is unappreciated masterpieces quality it's what we love yeah if so like you know even though i'm saying like i guess no if you do watch it you at least do get that so a not so firm no would be mine i guess so bartek it is but your me, yeah, you. time you didn't correct me several other times so it's too late uh what do you recommend for the next episode of the pod i am recommending a film from i believe the same year 2007 oh no Oh no! Uh, go, go, go on, go Sorry. on. That, that is the era. That is the era. <laughs> it's, it's, are we done yet again? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. This one's from I think an acclaimed director. Mm. I'm recommending The Darjeeling Limited. I was right with my response. Okay, Will, uh, you won't be back for The Darjeeling Limited, but I'm sure you'll listen along to our takes on that. Our Bartek. Uh, thank you for recommending that, people. You should make sure to check out that Wes Anderson classic with Owen Wilson. Oh, and on top of that, it's Bartomie. Oh, he's in it too? Awesome. And <laughs> um, uh, we can be found on your social media or Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Posh Presents, posting on there, interacting on there. So feel free to follow us if you want to contact us more directly. Where can people do that, Bartek? Uh, there are many places on top of the social media. We have a email address called spitandpolished at gmail.com. That's what we called it. Yep. You can email us on that directly. We check it sometimes and we respond always. Mm-hmm. I check it regularly. So Thank you, you so much for having me listening, people. Thank you for joining us yet again. You're welcome and congratulations on coming on. Congratulations. <laughs> just the way you said that <laughs> came across really weird. Well, I just that he's it's because we're talking about are we done yet, and it's always weirdly sexual. Thank no, you. I, I just got Will, thrown Will. off by him thanking us first, so I was just Will, like, oh, okay. Will, thank you for com- coming on. All right, that's enough. We're done now, people. Bye-bye. Did they actually say "Are we done yet" in the movie? I can't remember. It's it's his magazine title at the end, oh, right? Yes, but why? <laughs> to, be, to be fair, it's, it's a bit more firm than Are We There Yet, where the line was said like once and like kind of throw away. throw away. This one was missing the little boy becoming a scary animatronic with his jaw unhinged. Oh, yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> this film lacked, lacked that. Man, 
I'm really nostalgic for that first film. <laughs> and like the talking bobblehead voice where Tracy Morgan. <laughs> and more more shonen anime references. <laughs> but it did have magic you know, John you know, No, you know what it should have had was because this film, you know, was inspired by some other film, I would like to imagine that, like, oh, the writers for this one are different. They haven't seen the first one. They should have had a thing where, like, oh, Ice Cube's a big Yu-Gi-Oh player, and then, and then, and and John C. McGinley, one of the way he wins up seems that he has a better deck. Not only does he have a deck, not only that. Uh, Ice Cube's like, kids, look at this. I got a shiny, glittery card, right? And then John Caesar's like. Really? Well, look what I got. And he's got one of those big mechanical arm things that they had in those. I had one of those. He's as a got the jewel disc. He's, he's got ju- one yeah. of the items with the uh, with the Egyptian item. <laughs> he's got significantly as a millennium item. He's got Bakura's one. He's got the, the millennium ring. ring. He's got the ring. <laughs> hey, he's you like- can't beat my black magician deck. He's like. <laughs> He's like possessed by like the ghost of like a five thousand year old Egyptian black sorcerer. Or something. He was a thief. Thank you very much. Okay, sorry. I haven't seen all of Yu-Gi-Oh. I forgot what. But, sorry, Makora just was. to cover my ass, it was called Black Magician in Japan. It's Dark Magician. In the okay. West. okay. <laughs> One other thing. Oh, yeah. You kept bringing up Green Acres throughout this episode, and in yeah. my head, something was ringing in my head, like. The theme song's very catchy. That's and that was it. I've heard a certain person sing that theme song. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump. It is true. He yeah. did sing it. Green Acres is the, the place, place to be. be. <laughs> that was a funny video. 